So good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to our online service today. We're so glad that you came and are a part of this and joined with us. Uh, As we start now, our second part of our series, we're calling Seasons, calling it Seasons because that's what happens in life. Seasons are found throughout life, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in uh, life itself, whether it's in family, whether it's in your career, and especially as it relates to us in church. Life is filled with seasons, and that is changes that take place, new seasons ushered in, old seasons moving out. And so we've talked about the seasons, or we want to talk about seasons of churches. Tony Morgan wrote a book that I've been interested in the last week called The Unstuck Church. In the book, Morgan talks about uh, seven different life cycles of a church. We, really, he, we, we could probably use the language seven seasons of a church and, and accomplish the same thing. These life cycles are important because it tells or describes changes that churches go through. Now, as a church leader, that's particularly interesting to me because I want to know how to navigate the seasons, how to walk through the changes that come as a part of our church family, as a part of our church life. Seasons are important. More importantly, we said last week that when we're facing a new season, it's important to remember that preparing is better than comparing And so we're walking through these seasons, not so much to compare to where we are today, but to prepare for where we will be tomorrow. So let's talk about that just a little bit. The first season that Morgan mentions is the season or the cycle called launching, and that's exactly what we called our first season at the Orchard, a season for launching. We talked about how in 2007, God gave us a very clear vision, a very clear understanding of what he had for us to do and where he wanted us to go, a very clear vision of having a simple church that loved God and loved people. We talked about how we wanted the orchard to become a church that was simple, yes, but a church also that was a safe place for anyone, including misfits, a selfless place that, that is one that we it preferred others above ourselves, as Paul wrote in Philippians. And, and, then, and then finally, a, a church that, that is, impacts the community, that is a church that's involved in impacting the community. And so we talked about that launching. But one thing occurred to me as I was thinking through this series, and that's this. After the launch, we were posed with this question. The question is, now we have church. The church is born. Now what? The church is born, but now what? Kind of reminded me back when we had our children. You, you remember that? Some of you have had children. You understand that? Even though it's been years ago, I remember it well. And I remember that when we first found out, when Beth and I first found out we were going to have our first son, it was so exciting. It was nine months of excitement. It was nine months of anticipation. It was nine months of waiting for the baby to be born. But then I'll never forget that when that baby was finally birthed, even the birth processing was exciting. The process was exciting. But I remember when that baby was first born and when we held that baby for the first time, the question came, okay, the birth is great, but now what? I don't know what to do with this. There's no, there, there's no instruction manual. I don't have any way of figuring out what to do. Now what? 
That's exactly what's posed in the question for the church. Now, the now what for the orchard was to move into a new season, away from a season of launching into a season of addition, into the season that Morgan refers to as momentum growth. Momentum growth. That is where you grow because of momentum. It has the idea of of moving forward with almost a flow behind you. And that really happened for us. And we experienced that at least to some degree. Now, what happens is when there's a new work, when there's a new season, people get excited, right? People want to share what's going on. Uh, A new work, particularly a new church, draws in entrepreneurial leadership. New works create excitement and new works create passion and new works create an, in, an inviting environment, and an inviting spirit. New works encourage people to tell their friends, hey, you should come try our church. Hey, you can some, come visit our church. In our case, it was unique because they could say, you can come to the skating rink and you can wear your shorts and sandals or flip-flops or, or your jeans and a t-shirt. And so this excitement, this passion begins to build build. And as we begin to go, it's a season that has to begin to figure out questions, right? Like, what do we do with this crowd? And what now? The crowd begins to come. Now what? Well, we have to build systems. We have to find a place for them to meet. And all of these questions, all of these things begin to move into this momentum growth. And and it's all exciting. And guess what? It's really fun, It's really the the fun times because everything is moving forward. Something is brand new now that nothing else is like. We begin to realize, hey, at least to some degree, we've reached the idea, the vision that we were striving for. That is to be involved in things that few churches are doing in order to reach people that few churches are reaching. And we began to see that happen and people began to come. The misfits that we had prepared for began to join these misfits that were already here. And and, and the safe place began to develop and people began to say things like, love coming here because I feel safe. It did become a place that was selfless and wanting to serve other people in our community and things just move along incredibly. But now here's my question. What do we want to think about in that time of momentum growth, that season of adding people? What can we learn that prepares us for where we are today and where we'll be tomorrow? Do you see why? Now, some of you that are listening to me were no doubt a part of that early stage. You were here for that season of, ad, of addition, of adding. You were here for that season of momentum growth, and you remember that. And so you know why there's a tendency to look back and compare. But that's not the point. The point is not to glory in the days of the past and compare them to the days of today. Why? Because we're in a different season. The point is to prepare for the season we're in today and the season we begin, we believe, will begin very shortly. A new season. Wow. So what do we learn? What can we learn? Last week, we saw that we could learn from our vision. We we could learn that it's important if we're going to, as we move forward, to 
constantly hold on to our vision. That vision that we received in the beginning, that vision from God, that mission that God gave us, we hold true to that and we don't forget that as we move into a new season. Today, I think we draw this truth, and I'll say it and then I'll try to unpack it a little bit. We draw this truth, and that is that we must not only hold to our vision, secondly, we must hold to the essentials of the work that's God, that God's given us. Hold to the essentials that God's given us. So what are those essentials? Well, to get some help, we're going back to the New Testament church. We're going back to the book of Acts, and we're going to find how the early church was similar in their, in their quest and similar in their experience because they experienced momentum growth. They were launched and then they experienced a momentum of growth. How did they handle it? What did they do? Well, to get the full picture, I want to take you all the way back to the first time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament. Actually, the word church was not first penned by the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much about the church in the New Testament. It wasn't the idea um, um, even of, 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 of um, the Gospels or the, the Gospel writers, but it was the idea of Jesus. It came from the words of Jesus. He had gathered his followers and taken them to uh, the north country of the land of Israel um, at the foot of Mount Hermon, a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was a Roman city known for its temples and idols and all the many gods that they represented. And I think Jesus took them there for a reason, that one that I can't really get into today or I'll get off track. But let me just say this. He brought them there for the specific purpose of assuring them, affirming in their hearts just who he really was. And as a matter of fact, when he asked them, who do men say that I am? They began to answer, but it was Peter's answer, Simon Peter's answer that stood out. Because it was Simon Peter who said, you are the Christ. You're the anointed of God. What he was saying is you are the Messiah that all the prophets spoke about. And here's what Jesus replied to him that I think is very interesting. When Peter said that, Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There's our word. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus said, I will build my church church. Now that church, that, that verse has been misunderstood and misinterpreted and taken all kinds of ways. But in essence, what I want you to see today is Jesus is introducing this idea, introducing this thought, this truth that he is about to establish a new entity, a new gathering of people. The word their church has, our word, English word church has evolved uh, through, through in many ways that again, I won't unpack today, except to say this in the original language, the word actually means assembly. Maybe that's a good way to put it. A, 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 a group, a gathering of people. Now, Jesus says, I want to build this gathering. That wouldn't have shocked the disciples. It wouldn't have been foreign to them. They were aware of gatherings throughout their history. They had been aware of how God would often gather the people for various events, whether they were gathering for war or whether they were gathering for prayer and feasting or whether they were gathering for worship. It was not a foreign concept. 
concept. And of course, it's not foreign to us either. But Jesus is making a point. I'm about to establish something that's different. Different from your temple, different from your synagogue, something different. And we get the word, our word, church. Ecclesia, called out ones. Now, fast forward a few years. Let's move from the north country of Caesarea Philippi, south to the holy city of Jerusalem. Now some years have passed, a couple of years have passed. We're in Jerusalem. The disciples have witnessed many things that Jesus had taught them. They had learned from him. They had developed a, a trust in him. They began to love him more each day. They were committed to him. And then they watched him die, a Roman crucifixion. Their hearts were faint. They weren't sure what this meant for their future or the future of this gathering he had talked about, this assembly he had talked about. They weren't sure about anything. In fact, they were afraid, and Scripture says they all forsook him. But then three days later, they witnessed his resurrection. They witnessed the truth that a man, their friend, their Messiah, Jesus, had predicted his death, burial, and resurrection, and that he had pulled it off. And so as Jesus gathered in front of these people in a resurrected way, more people came, more followers came. Paul tells us up to 500 at one time. And they would see this resurrected Christ, so the followers of Jesus were reinvigorated. They, they, were, uh, they, they were excited, they were passionate, and now they were ready to move on to establish this church. And so in Acts chapter 2, we find that the church is born. We see the Holy Spirit come down at Pentecost, and, and we see it fill the room, and we see the church comes to life. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says it this way. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were, here's our word, added to them. The church is born 3,000 added to them. The church is launched and the addition begins. 3,000 added to them. So there's the church. The church is born. Now what? Now what? What happens from there? I'm reminiscent of, my th- my, the, of our experience with, at the orchard. The church is born. People were added. Not 3,000. But people were added And and it may as well have been 3,000 compared to what we were prepared for. But now what? So the people began to move forward. And and Dr. Luke, fortunately, a a man given to detail, tells us what was next. And he shows us what was next through the rest of the book of Acts. And boy, you ought to just take time to read it. We can't go through all of it here, but take time to read it. I do want to look at the next couple of verses, though, that follow this 41st verse and show you that one thing I see for sure that happened, the one thing I know was the now what was they focused in on some essentials. They focused in on some things that were essential to what was happening, essential to their being and essential to their carrying on. Uh, I want to read to you Acts chapter 2. Look at verse number 42 through 47. Luke says, They devoted themselves, that they being those who were added to the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. 
They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then watch this verse, this part. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, here's what happened next in this process, in this season of addition. These men... These women settled on four essentials, at least four essentials. Did you catch them as we walked through them? Let me just show you what they are. First of all, the first essential was they settled on the fact that they needed to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. That is, they were zeroed in on the scriptures. The scriptures became the central part of who they were and what they were doing. The apostles' teaching, now keep this in mind. They didn't have the entirety of Scripture that we have today. The the New Testament was not yet written. It would be written by them and others later. But they did have the Old Testament Scriptures. And I'm pretty certain that a part of that teaching from the apostles was instruction from the Torah, instruction from the writings, instruction from the prophets, and, and, and descriptions of how all of these pointed to Christ, how everything in their Old Testament Scriptures pointed toward the Messiah, and that Jesus is that Messiah. I'm pretty sure that there were times that they would sit around with the, the, the people in the room, and they would teach them what Jesus had taught them for three years. I'm pretty sure they talked about the Sermon on the Mount, and how Jesus had described how we are to live, and, and how we are to move, and how how we are to have our being, what our attitudes are to be, and what our actions are to be. Pretty sure there were times when they talked about the miracles of Jesus walking on the sea and the importance of that and the consequence of those things. Pretty sure they talked to them at some point of time about Jesus predicting his death and burial and then his resurrection and and the wonder of that and the glory of that. Oh, they had a lot to talk about as they would begin to teach. And so this teaching of the apostles was an essential that could not be left out. And then this idea of fellowship, another of the essentials. Fellowship, that's a word we don't use a whole lot today. The original language may help us here some, koinonia. It means to have things in common. The idea is not just that we get together and have a fellowship meal in the fellowship hall. Some of you who grew up in church know what I'm talking about. It's not just that we decide to eat together, although that may well be part of it. It's actually getting to know one thing, each other and having in common different things. And of course, there is nothing more important to have in common than our relationship with Jesus Christ and our walk with him. Yeah, four essentials. The apostles' teaching, fellowship. Then something interesting. He mentions the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Now, there's a lot of people have different ideas about that. It could it be just talking about the fact that they ate together. After all, we see down in verse 46, that same, that same phrase happening. Although there it talks about the breaking of bread and then mentions that they ate together. Uh, maybe, maybe doesn't fellowship have something to do with eating? I don't know. But I'm convinced and I feel pretty comfortable with this, that this idea of breaking bread went beyond just a, a fellowship type of meal, but rather indicated an important part of breaking bread or important moment of breaking bread that we now call the Lord's Supper. We know that the Lord Jesus had told them, as often as you do this, remember me. This is something you need to do in remembrance of me and look forward to my coming. 
important for those of you who are geeky enough to follow it through in the original text and in our particular translation, the definite article appears before that. We believe given significance to the fact that this was not just a breaking of bread, but this is the breaking of bread, keeping of an ordinance that Jesus had established. And then finally, that they'd be committed to prayer. They were committed to prayer. We already stated in the last few weeks that prayer matters and that the disciples, the early disciples, the early church knew that prayer matters. And so they were committed to a moment of prayer. Four essentials. Now, I feel quite comfortable saying this. I'm convinced that in order to be a church, all four of these essentials must be present. Now, you can't have more, but no less. And if you have more, then you have to be sure that the more don't overshadow these four. Ah, it kind of rhymes. Maybe I'll try to remember that. The point of the matter is these four things essential. A church is more than just a gathering of people. You can gather a few people, toss a pigskin around, and call it a football game, not a church. But a church focuses on essentials, the essentials of biblical teaching, the essential of fellowship or having things in common, the essential of ordinance such, or, such as the, uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism and prayer, prayer. Those four are essential. So as the orchard, we begin to think through, how does it look, what does this look like for us? And, and how do we make this a part of our season of addition? How do we add this to our system? How do we make these our values? How do we make sure that these four essentials remain? And so we settled on several things, and these things I think are important for us to remember. First of all, we decided we would gather around the Word of God. That's why every weekend, except for the weekend after Christmas, every weekend we gather around the Word of God. We gather together in a weekend experience that, that, we, that, that brings us to a place of, of, of singing, and we have wonderful bands and, and, and worship teams and media folks who help us to do that. We gather for a time of worship, but you know what? We gather around the Word of God. Even in 252 and even in First Look, student ministry, whatever we're doing, when we gather, we want to gather around the Word. We want to keep the Word of God as central and important, prioritize it as the early ones did. And as we move into new seasons, we must remember that essential to keep everything centered and focused upon the Word of God. Secondly, we decided we would worship together weekly. We made a decision. We decided that once a week we would come together for this weekly experience. Uh, frankly, my tradition had been to gather three times a week, and sometimes it would run into four and five times a week, but we made a decision to worship weekly. That was intentional. Why? Because we believed that this next part was important too, and that is we wanted to live out the one another's. We wanted to live out the one another's. Now, Pastor Eddie, what does that mean? That is a better way, I think, of thinking of this idea of community and fellowship. We live out all the one another's that Jesus and the scriptures give us, such as love one another, pray for one another, be kind to one another. You get the idea. There's a list of those one another's. In other words, that Jesus has taught us very clearly how we are to relate to other people. Our vision statement includes this thought and this idea. We say we want to be a simple church that what? Loves God and loves people. 
Because Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. As we gather for worship, as we weekly gather together, centered around the Word of God, praising the name of God through music and other ways, we are worshiping our Father and expressing our love to Him. But then we're also called to express our love to each other, to one another. That's an important part of who we are and who we want to be and even who we want to become. And then fourth, we decided we wanted to celebrate the ordinances regularly. That's why every month on the second Sunday of the month, we, have, we, we celebrate one of the ordinances. This Sunday is baptism. <laughs> and what a wonderful ordinance to celebrate. Next month, it'll be the Lord's Supper. Why? Because we believe that it's an essential an essential part of who we are. The ordinance of the Lord's Supper, we celebrate his death, his resurrection, and his coming again. Baptism, we celebrate the conversion of a, of a lost life. We celebrate the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and the commitment in the heart of a believer who comes to him and shows openly their commitment to him. And finally, we decided we wanted to be a community dependent upon prayer. Dependent upon prayer. And that's exactly why the series Prayer Matters was so important to us last month. It reminded us that prayer is important. And this is one of the essentials that we need to hold to and we need to be strong in. And so we want to continue that. If we're to move forward in the next season, in the new season, we better understand and we better remember the essentials that God has given us and never waver from them. We may add some others, but we can never take away from these. And so thinking about this new season, thinking about where we go from here, thinking about what now, let's learn that. And let's hold to those things. Let's remember our vision, but more importantly, as importantly, I should say, let's also remember the essentials, the values that we hold to. I'm convinced that when we see these things happening, the result is when we hold to these essentials, the result is that people are added to the church. I think it's very interesting that Dr. Luke gave us that one closing to this section by saying because they kept these essentials, because of what was happening in their church, guess what? The momentum continued. And every day, people were added to the Lord. Every day to the church, every day people were added to the kingdom of God. The people were excited. The people were sharing. The people were passionate about the message. They were passionate about the vision and um, they knew what they were doing and were ready to move forward. So my challenge to you today is, will you come to the place that you realize the essentials and will you be a part of keeping those essentials how important are they to us? What do they mean? Let me give you a takeaway for today, something I think is very important and I think maybe a good way to leave off this week's uh, message. Takeaway, new seasons often create new momentum. I really believe that. that. That not necessarily, it doesn't always have to, but oftentimes new seasons will create new momentum. Who doesn't want momentum on their side? Momentum is important. Momentum is powerful. Momentum moves forward and is difficult to stop. Well, guess what? In whatever season of life you're facing today, you want, new mo you want momentum or maybe you're 
you're, you're lamenting the fact that you've lost momentum. Maybe your marriage has lost momentum. That sometimes happens. If you don't kindle that marriage, if you don't kindle that relationship, if, if, you, don't, if you don't work to, to, to move in a positive direction, if, if, you don't, if you're not always trying to learn, if you're not always trying to get better, guess what? Your marriage, as it moves through seasons, can begin to lose momentum. You know what? You can lose momentum in life. I've seen many people lose momentum in life because something comes along and knocks us down and knocks the breath out of us. We've seen a lot of that in 2020, right? This whole COVID shutdown and this whole COVID fear and this this whole COVID virus and everything involved has brought many to their knees. Why? Because there was a loss of momentum. Work shut down, church shut down, although that's not correct. We just shut down public gatherings. Yeah, but things shut down, things stopped, and you couldn't do what you used to could do. There was no baseball season. Heaven forbid, no Little League baseball in the spring. How, how do we live with that? And many lost momentum. You can lose that. You know what? We can lose momentum in churches, churches too. Sometimes what, was, you know, what, what becomes commonplace becomes kind of old, and, and what becomes old can become stale and can, can, can become complacent. And, and you, we can read about that. You can read about that, more of that in Morgan's book. But I know this. We don't want to lose that momentum. We want to move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the plan of the Lord Jesus Christ for the orchard and what he has for us. And you want that same thing in your life. We want that for you in your marriage, in your home, in your family, in your business, in your career, whatever it may be that you're pursuing. We want to know that we're moving forward to new seasons. I want to say again, as we look toward a new season, we have to be careful not to compare, but to prepare. And we prepare by holding firm to the essentials that God has given us, never wavering, but always understanding what is of most importance for each of us. And then as we get excited, and as the momentum builds, and as the passion builds, we begin to share others the good news of Jesus. And suddenly you're not waiting for somebody else to tell them about Jesus. You're going to tell them about Jesus. You're going to tell them about what's going on. And we'll see people added to the kingdom day by day by day. What a glorious future. What a glorious future we have. I want to say one more time to my Orchard family, the best days are not behind us. The best days are yet before us. Now, before I close completely and we move into another period of singing, I do want to invite you who don't know Christ. I want you to consider what Jesus has to offer I do want you to consider what Jesus is saying to you today. He's inviting you to be a part of his family. He's inviting you to be a part of his church. He's inviting you to be a part of the movement that, is, that he started years ago and that he sustains today. He's inviting you to step into eternal life. He's inviting you to have your life transformed. And you can do that simply by putting your faith and your trust in Him. Simply by coming to Him in prayer and acknowledging your sin, confessing that sin, turning away from that sin and giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, giving Him control. Finally coming to the point of saying to Him, Lord, I've tried this on my own and it hadn't worked out too well. I think I'm ready to give it all to You. And as you yield your life to Jesus Christ, He'll change your heart. 
You say, well, I'd like to know more about that, Pastor, if I could. Listen, there's a place on our website as you're watching there. You can just click and enter into a conversation. Somebody's waiting right now to talk to you. Somebody's waiting right now to pray for you. You can talk to them. I encourage you to do that. And then when you do, and I really encourage you to let us know about it, just send us a comment. Just, just tell us what's happened to you so that we can rejoice with you. Because you know what? We really are happy when people come to faith in Christ and we know that the kingdom of God has one more addition. Praise God. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time you've given us this morning. Thank you for your grace. And dear Heavenly Father, I pray that right now you would speak to hearts, hearts that are listening, hearts that are interested. Maybe somebody just tuned in today by accident. They just ran across this site. God, we don't believe anything's by accident. So would you speak to that heart? Would you draw people to you today? Would you invite people in their own hearts and minds to come to salvation today? And God, we know that you'll be faithful to do what you said because you're a wonderful God and a gracious heavenly father, a God who cares and a God who saves. So God, we give it to you now, ourselves, our church, our ministry, it's all yours. Take us to whatever season you have for us, we pray. In Jesus' name.